Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And before I introduce you to our two experts, let's go over match day two's results. So on Friday night, we've seen Cologne host Borussia Dortmund. They went 1-0 up, but sadly couldn't hold on. It was a 3-1 victory on Saturday. Paderborn, yep, unfortunately fell short once again. 3-1 to Freiburg. Augsburg won. Union Berlin, yes, getting their first top flight goal. 1-1. Mainz 1, Borussia Mönchengladbach 3. Yes, that's four points, three years in a row after two games for Gladbach. Fortuna Dusseldorf 1, Peter Bosch's Leverkusen 3-1. Very impressive, eh? Hoffenheim 3, Werder Bremen 2. Schalke 0. Yep, even though they went that bad, Robert Lewandowski scored 3 for Bayern 3-0. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about that plenty. Going into Sunday, RB Leipzig kept it a 2 out of 2 with a 2-1 victory over Eintracht Frankfurt and then finishing off the weekend Wolfsburg kept the 100% record going with two wins in two with a 3-0 win in Berlin against Hertha so on the podcast with me today as always is Chris Williams Chris how have you been I've been very well thank you Bryce um sweltering today the United Kingdom is basking in sunshine. I noticed that you've got a, let's just say, a loud shirt on um, as we record this. At least you've got a shirt on. So let's just be thankful that it's not a video podcast. Hey, people are complaining about my shirt, but, you know, it could be so much worse potentially, eh? You know, Um, one man that would probably say it is, it should be thrown in the bin and not worn is Manu Vets. Manu, how are you? I'm much better than you should. Hey, 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 come on. Come on now. There's no need for that. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, shrill. It's definitely a shrill, um, piece of attire. I, I give you that. No, I'm pretty good, Bryce. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. As Chris said, we've had a scorcher of a bank holiday weekend over here in the UK, getting up to, well, over 35 degrees, which we're just not used to. Hence, probably too much sun to the brain. And the gearish shirt. Anyway, let's talk um, less about fashion and more about football. And Chris, we'll go to you and we'll talk about that Friday night game. So, newly promoted Cologne. Yes, they scored uh, early on, 
but they were never going to hold out where they Dortmund seemed to like to give um, other teams the opportunity to go ahead and then they come back into it I suppose it does show character or it just shows how much class they've got when it does uh, when they do come forward um, Sancho with a fantastic goal but they give him too much space uh, and then once again he had too much space on the counter to finish things off as he played it across for Paco Alcazar um, at the end um, what are your takeaway points from this I mean it was hard work for Dortmund um, would you say the tactics were maybe wrong at the start or that Cologne were very good I think Bryce it's just a, a new Bundesliga amendment that says that um, Borussia Dortmund have to let a goal in first before they're allowed to play um, so they did it last weekend inside of 32 seconds they did it this week, um, just gone, albeit took a little bit longer, um, was the 29th minute, so it was within the first half an hour. But yeah, though that first half, Dortmund were um, shaky is probably the right word. Um, Cologne looked more hungry. They looked driven on by the fantastic crowd um, in a Rhein Energy Stadion. Um, and they just seemed to be a little quicker. Dortmund looked... Very slow, um, and I can only assume that um, Lucien Favre uh, had a word with them at half time. I do think the tactical changes he made ultimately won the game for them. So um, we've seen this double pivot. It's his, it's a favourite of his. It's normally, or the last season, it was Thomas Delaney and Axel Witzel. Um, this particular game, it was Witzel and Weigel. I don't think they fit together very well. Um, I think maybe they are too similar a player. Um, the thing with Thomas Delaney is maybe I like to see him get forward a little bit more. Maybe he's a bit more forward-minded. And I think um, Axel Witzel, when he plays in that six role, he likes to hold back and he likes to do the defensive duties a bit. And I think um, Julian Weigel is exactly the same as that. So I think that double pivot's key um, if you've got um, players who are attack-minded and defensive-minded. And, and Witzel can go forward and he can go back. I just don't think Weigel is that good further up the pitch I think he's a lot better he's a lot more defensive minded and hence why he can play centre back occasionally um, but once that change was made um, Lucien Favre made a double change and brought on Julian Brandt um, and brought on um, Akanji uh, sorry Hakimi and um, and it was all good after that for Dortmund they're a completely different side I mean if you look at the the goal that was scored by Sancho it was um, through exploitation of space and, and that was all made um, when the substitutions were made, which was just eight minutes prior to that. So it was the, the substitutions for me that changed the game. And also, um, and I tweeted this out at the time, Cologne were playing such a high line, such a um, high pressure game early on, and they were running everywhere off the ball. They were working exceptionally hard. I didn't know how long it would last. And um, after that goal went in on 70 minutes, Cologne just tired after that. And then, you know, as we saw, 86 and uh, 90 and the goals went in. So that's, I think, where they were beaten. They were, they were beaten by themselves in the end. They tied themselves out. Um, but I think credit needs to go to Lucien Favre because he saw the problems and he changed them. And Manu, that's something we didn't really see last season. Or if we did see it, we didn't see it until maybe the last five, six minutes, which, as we know, is a little too late then. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, I think that was something that People maybe criticized Lucien Favre a little bit last year for that his this tactical setup was at times a bit conservative, right? With that double pivot role, um, I think it's it's very good to secure that back line, right? It uh, it allows, in theory, allows the opponent very little. 
in terms of creating opportunities against you. But at, at the same time, while you have a lot of control, it doesn't also lacks a lot of creativity. And you could really sense that when Julian Brandt came on, right, in that second half, um, that the, the team was all of a sudden much better in finding that final pass into the third. I, I think he came on and he created two or three chances right off the get-go, right? And I think that just it changed the entire complexity of the game. Now, I think, and this is, this is something that we discussed at the end um, of last season, um, last year they didn't really have an alternative to this, right? And that was something that um, they addressed very well because Julian Brandt did really, really well. Many people expected him to come in as this attacking winger, right? Um, an attacking midfield player. But um, he played most of last year under Peter Bosch in a holding midfield role, right? Further back, almost made that same kind of transition that um, Bastian Schweinsteiger made um, in his late, in his mid twenties from being a winger where he was never really fast enough to um, a holding attacking holding midfielder where he was probably on that position at, at his high point, you know, between the World Cup 2010 and the World Cup 2014, one of the best players in the world. And I see something very similar of Julian Brandt in that regard. And Dortmund were smart. They identified, they said, okay, we need something very different in, in that position. And we need someone who is not Witzel, Delaney and Weigel, because I agree with you, Chris, they're very similar. We need someone who can come on and change the complexity of the game. And that's what they did. And I don't think that was last year was due to Favre not being creative enough in terms of switching up his tactics, but it was due to the, lack of alternatives in the squad and now he has the has the alternatives and he, he brings on the players to change a game i mean hakimi is another great example he was he was a starter last year right but now they have schultz which means hakimi can come off the bench um it's just a very the 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 depth in the squad is just a lot deeper which allows for more tactical flexibility Chris, if we do talk about uh, the depth that Manu's just mentioned, and you've obviously got uh, Paco Alcazar you know, up, up top, but then players kind of slightly behind him uh, would be Marco Royce, uh, Sancho, Hazard, you know, Brands. Um, and I mean, it, is it possible to to play so many of these um, fantastic, exciting players? Um, all at the same time, and maybe get the balance right. I mean, if things did look better when Brandt came on. Do you think that's something that needs to happen in the future? You know, that's maybe going forward their starting lineup if they can balance that. Yeah, it's always a difficult one, um, and I think any manager or any coach would want that problem. It's almost a Hobson's choice, isn't it? You know, which one, which player do you want to anger the most by not playing him? Well, all of the players that have gone to Borussia Dortmund and players that are there, um, no that they're not necessarily first name on the sheet. I think the only person who can guarantee his time at the moment is, is Jaden Sancho, and that's because of how well he's playing. Um, everybody else has sort of got um, someone on the bench who could step in, um, and I think Dortmund need that because not only are they playing in the Bundesliga, um, they're going to be playing in the Pokal and also um, the Champions League when that gets started later on. Um, and well, I was going to say later on in this year, but it's literally a few weeks away. Um, until the group stages start, so it's going to the games are going to be coming thick and fast for Dortmund. Then they're going to be playing weekend, midweek, um, and then throw in the Bundesliga's English weeks as well, um, and the Pokals. Then they'll need this depth of squad to be able to maintain a fight for the Bundesliga because I still do maintain that this is Dortmund's number one um, priority this season is the Bundesliga, but they will still want to do well in the other two competitions they're in. So this strength and depth they've got. 
um, is very good. Now, does Julian Brandt start? He probably start. He probably will do, but then he will find that he will start five, six, seven games, and then he'll go back to the bench. And the same may happen for um, Witzel or, or maybe even Weigel. Look at who's on the bench, who they've got. Mario Gotze can come in at some point, so Paco Alcasa won't be played every single game. He can expect to be rotated. But I think players are happy to be rotated um, if they're in a winning side and they know that if they all pull together as a team then they can achieve things. And I think that's the feeling at Dortmund at the moment. It's certainly the feeling that I've got watching um, a fantastic documentary on Amazon Prime um, about inside Borussia Dortmund. It looks a very well-gelled squad, very um, great chemistry between the players. And I think they all know that ultimately it's not about how much game time do I personally get on the pitch, but how does our game time affect the club and how can we take the club forward? I think this may just to add to this. Um, we spoke a little bit about this last week with, in regards to RB Leipzig, right? Um, and the, the depth that you need in certain areas. And I do really feel, because this is, this is a debate that I actually had last night on Twitter regarding a very different club and different league. But still, I do feel that you build your team in midfield. And that's where you need to have the, the greatest amount of alternatives and depth, right? Um, ultimately, you can have the best strikers in the world if they don't get the service from, from midfield. They, they're going to goal staff, right? And I think that was something maybe um, that last season, um, I don't think they had the same kind of alternatives that they have this year. And I mean, that is, when you look at this, this squad, um, there's so many alternatives for players that they can bring on. Uh, someone like Thomas Delaney, who was a starter last year, didn't feature, right, in this game. Um, they still have Mahmoud Rahoud. Um, Chris already mentioned Götze. Um, Julian Weigel, someone who didn't start last year, is all of a sudden an option in midfield again. And then there's Guerrero, who, who may or may not still leave this club, right? But he's also, he can also be used in various ways in midfield or on wing and etc. That's, that's where you want your depth. That's where you're going to win your titles. Games get decided in midfield. They don't get decided by strikers. They don't get decided by defenders. Games get decided by midfield players. And that's where you want to have the most flexibility in your entire squad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, um, as Manu just mentioned um, slightly, um, do you see any of the players in that squad leaving before the transfer window closes as they've got such depth, maybe one or two might jump ship? Rafael Guerrero, I think, might be the only one who who may leave, but he shot that down himself, went out on social media. I can't remember if it was Instagram or Twitter he took to. Anyway, he shut down a rumour. Um, I'll try and put it nicely. Basically, he said people should find um, other things to do with their time rather than speculate about him. Um, so that looks shut down. Um, and what Dortmund have done is they did their transfer business early on and got the, the squad they wanted. So... I can't see them letting people go now, um, now the season started, because as we all know, uh, club managers like to give their coaches a squad to work with at the start of pre-season, and, and they like all that to be sorted by pre-season, which is what Dortmund did. Um, and while they do have a very good squad, and it is very deep, uh, maybe two injuries, and, and then it becomes a problem. And if you're letting players go right at the end of the window when they can actually fulfil a duty later on, um, I think that might be dangerous for them. Should Borussia Dortmund go on and win the Bundesliga this season, then they will probably let people go in the summer who they think they no longer needed or not up to the standard or who maybe they just want to move on. But at this particular time, 
I think the pursuit of the title is so great that they would not let anybody else leave. Yes, yeah, so Borussia Dortmund will travel to Berlin uh, for the late kickoff next Saturday to take on Union, which uh, should be very entertaining. It's going to be a, a good crowd there, while we say, with home and away support. But, um, Mario, to talk about um, a newly promoted side, um, what, what can we... What can Cologne take from this uh, performance against Dortmund? I mean, it, it was impressive. They did have chances. Um, I, I mean, they've got no points on the board after two games, but they, things haven't looked that bad for them, have they? No, I think they can be encouraged by this game. And Chris likes to say this. Games are not played on paper, right? When you look at the statistics that were printed on a piece of paper at halftime, I think Dortmund had 72% possession, but... It was what Köln did with the ball that I thought was really impressive. Um, first of all, they, they limited Dortmund very, very much to the um, the mid third and the defensive third of the game. So while Dortmund had a lot of the ball, they had a lot of the ball in areas that were not dangerous for Köln. And it, it's all great and good if the opponent has the ball and passes it around. If it's not coming anywhere close to you. Um, the attacking third, it doesn't matter. Your, your possession stats are pretty much useless, aren't they? And that's what Köln managed to do. And I feel also that they really managed to limit um, Dortmund to go out wide. Jaden Sancho, for example, had a very tough time breaking into that third um, space of the field on either flank, right? And, and they, I think that was very good. They shut that very much out. I uh, thought I highlighted Trexler. Um, as one player, he really limited um, Witzel to to one side only, um, almost isolated him in a sense, which then made it made it very difficult for him to play the ball forward. Um, of, of course, that entire complexity changed when when Brandt came on, but that's just the difference of quality, isn't it, between Köln and Dortmund? I I thought they they managed this game very well, and look um, to to hold a side like Dortmund as long as they did, and maybe with a little luck, you, that's the sort of game where you get a point from, right? So uh, I think they can be very encouraged by this performance. They're very well organized. They're, they're a good team. I don't think they're going to have anything to do with relegation this year. I still think that the relegation that they had was probably one of the oddest ones in, in Bundesliga history. This is not a side that should have gone down that year. Um, so I, I think when you look at that squad, when you look at the way they play, I mean, the, the stadium atmosphere was incredible, wasn't it? Um, once again, the Müngersdorfer Stadium um, producing one of the best atmospheres in the Bundesliga. And I, I think, you know, they will just get fine. Um, they just have to get that first point, uh, first three points. And I think from then on, it, it will be pretty smooth sailing for them for the rest of the season. Well, Cologne will be facing Freiburg next match day. Maybe that will be an opportunity for them to get some points on the board. And you know what, but- Bryce? That's probably going to be a key game for them because that is that is a three-pointer for them. They have to get those three points um, just to you know just to get that Bundesliga win under the belt. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a very good point. They need to pick it up. It's uh, promoted sides. I always feel anyway. Um, it, it, it can be a little bit. Um, unhelpful for them if they don't pick up any points in the first few games not just because of the boat or, or because of the table obviously but I think confidence and heads can go down can't they and it's hard to recover from that uh, though Fre- Freiburg have won two and two so it's not going to be that easy though let's talk about Bayern Munich eh? we've seen them on the late kickoff on Saturday take on David Wagner's Schalke the scoreline was 3-0 that's correct uh, it was a hat-trick by 
Lewandowski, which isn't that much of a surprise. It was his ninth time in a row to score past Schalke. Again, not much of a surprise. But it wasn't an entirely convincing performance, was it, Chris? Bayern still just don't look as good as as they have done in the past. Um, They're still leaving a a few doubts out there, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I think Manu chatted um, in our WhatsApp group at the time if um, Schalke could score, uh, you know, Bayern would have had a problem. If if you look um, at at where Schalke are in their development, I, I would put them mid to low part of the table team. And they were still able to register um, six shots against Bayern, which is something that really a team of Bayern's ability should be shutting down. Okay, I get that the Veltins Arena is, is a loud um, and can be intimidating place, but this Bayern Munich side are full of world-class players and they should really be shutting, uh, be really shutting down um, clubs like Schalke from getting in and, and around the box and being able to create chances. And, you know, that's something that they didn't. The total shots, um, okay, four were off target, um, but three of those were saved. So th- there's three good opportunities that maybe a side like um, Leipzig or Dortmund or maybe even someone like Wolfsburg would, would be able to sneak a goal. And depending on when that goes in, depends how much of a problem Bayern had. We saw that Hertha um, last week for them. It, it can be a problem. But overall, you would expect a side like Bayern to be able to um, take apart a team like um, Schalke. And they did. And similarly, in the in the game previous that we just chatted about, that overall class comes um, to fruition in the end. And that's what happened to to um, Bayern Munich. And, and they went and won the game quite convincingly um, towards the end. But there are those issues. And for me, it's how long do those issues go on? Because um, everybody will see it. It's just whether the teams have the capability to exploit that. I, I would say Julian Nagelsmann will be very aware of it. I'll say Lucien Favre is already aware of it because of the Super Cup. Um, and some of the other teams like Marco Rosa, um, at Gladbach, he will be aware of it, but we're about to start Champions League and um, the big boys across Europe will certainly be aware of it and, and it could start to become a problem for buying this um, ability that they seem to have at the moment, which is letting teams get around the back of them. Um, whilst it's okay, maybe against David Wagner's Schalke, um, it's not going to be okay once they take a step up. But yeah, they won. That's all you can ask. After last week, Bayern needed a response and they gave that. Yes, they did. And Chris, I mean, it's very easy to kind of bypass, uh, I suppose, um, Lewandowski and, you know, how good a player he is. But three very, very well taken goals. And that free kick was spectacular, wasn't it? Well, he's a world-class player. Um, It has been for many years now. And for me, it doesn't matter where he is, whether he's outside the box, inside the box, on the left, on the right, central. Is the ball in the air? Is the ball on the floor? Every single answer to to those particular areas is um, he can score from them. So, yeah, he's an all-round centre-forward. If, if I was going to create my own team, um, he would be one of the first players that I picked in world football to lead my line. Yes, if you haven't seen this free kick, maybe have a little look online. Really spectacular stuff. Um, Manu, uh, Chris talked um, about Schalke probably and where they're at at the moment in, in a bit of a a rebuilding phase um, under Dave Wagner and he, he said that they're more to mid to kind of lower half of the table um, level at the moment I mean would you agree with that I mean where do you see them at the moment oh I thought that they were very poor in this game I just I just don't see very much creativity or speed in their attacking line and, and I think 
I tweeted this at the time. You you look at them, right? And then you look at Hertha, who Bayern played last last week. And Hertha are not a top table side, um, one of the top table sides either um, at the moment. I think that they're still very much finding their way. But yet, because they have someone like Marco Kruic, who is creative in midfield, they have a fast attacking forward like Dodi Lokebaki, someone who can score and can also get into that um, final third, right, um, bypass the defensive lines through his speed and his, his vision, they, they were able to hurt Bayern. So that already gives you a very good indication of where Hertha are at. Um, Guido Burgstaller, I think when he first came into this league, we, we all praised him on this podcast, but um, he's not, not longer a striker that you want as your number one, number nine, right? I don't think he has that speed and that quality, and he doesn't have the support either. I mean, we on the left wing, we had Harrod, right, who they tried to, to sell um, at one point this summer. And there is just not that midfielder. Um, they, they, failed, they, they signed and failed to integrate Sebastian Rudi last summer, right? He's now back at Hoffenheim. Um, but who do they have instead in midfield that can, that can provide that spark, that creativity, um, I think it's it, it speaks volumes that this side could not make the most out of the chances that were given to them by Bayern. And I think that is a really big concern if I was David Wagner, because what is what is the playing philosophy? Um, this is a coach that comes in with high praise. It's being often, often very much connected to Jurgen Klopp. Um, he did a good job at Huddersfield, got them into the, the Premier League, right? Could not prevent them from being relegated, which is fair enough. It's 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 difficult there. But Schalke is a different beast. I mean, this is, this is a club that has the third most members in all of Germany. We're talking about a club over a hundred thousand members. This is, this is a big club, right? And they're a big club that I can see getting in big trouble over the next few years if they don't sort this, if they don't find creative ways to, to build a squad and find these creative players that can create a spark. I, I look at Schalke and I find them dull. Um, you know, we had Matt Marshall write the, the match report from, from the Feltins Arena and he pointed out that Daniel Caliguri is their, is their best player. I think you're in trouble if that's who your best player is. And that's no disrespect to Caliguri. I think he's, he's a marvelous player, but he's not, he's not the sort of star player that you want to have lead a club that again is the third largest in Germany. Um, just to let that sink in. I think that is something that's very troubling. And if I was a Schalke fan, I'd be very worried about that. Manu, we had somebody um, asked last week um, on Twitter, uh, you, would they be a surprise package to maybe get into Europe? But I mean, we, we twist that a little bit and say, well, would they be a surprise package to potentially go down? I mean, are they going to be in that relegation battle? Yeah. I, I, no, I, I don't think that's a bad shout. I think there is a danger for that. To be quite frank, I mean, they, before the summer, uh, in the summer, there was a big article in Kicker, and I, I think this is a story that has caught some attention even in the United States. I some, saw someone tweeted out at Fox, right, um, about how Schalke could become the next Hamburger SV, you know, this club that will linger like they did last year around that relegation area, and instead of having broken into that top four consistently, will be a club that's always on the danger of relegation. Every year you get worse. Every year you change the coach. Every year you bring in new players. Every time you bring in new players and you sell players, 
Um, look at how, how many academy players have left for free. And I, I bet you Alexander Nubel is going to be the next one. And that's, that, that is a very, very dangerous, vicious cycle. So I do think that they need to break out of that cycle somehow, because if you stay in that and there is a good chance that they will finish 13th, 14th again this year, then you, you have a hard time attracting the sort of players to come to your club to, to improve the squad. You're having a hard time signing the sort of coaches that can do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous thing. And, um, I think we saw how quickly it can go with Hamburg, right? That you are in that area. And although Hamburg hung on for like, what, three or four years where they really should have gone down, eventually it did hit them. And we've seen it with Stuttgart. We've seen it now with Hannover. Um, we've seen clubs like Kaiserslautern. They're now in the third division. Um, only because you're a big club with huge membership doesn't, doesn't protect you from potentially going down. And I think that is something that they should be really concerned about. Well, to go back to this game, uh, Chris, there, there was a few VAR incidents. Um, uh, some people have said in the past that VAR seems to favour Bayern. I mean, it, is that utter nonsense or do you think there can be any bias to it? I mean, the, the biggest club in Germany, uh, I mean, do, does that work to their favour at all? I don't think it does, no. Um, I think no matter what your viewpoint is, it's subjective. Okay, so... All foul, all fouls are subjective. So, what you think might be a penalty might not necessarily be what the referee thinks, and that might not necessarily be what the video assistant referee thinks. So, it's a tough one for for calls on offside. Um, is the ball in or out of play, and where's the player on the pitch? So, did the did the foul occur in the penalty box or was it outside the penalty box? They are absolutes. So. You can see, you can't argue. If if a if a foul takes place outside the box, you cannot argue it's a penalty. It's a factual decision. And when we stray into subjective decisions, then the referee has to base it on, on a number of things. And, and also when it comes to VAR, there has to be a clear and obvious error. And if the referee, if the VAR, if the video assistant referee, doesn't think that the on-field referee has made a clear and obvious error, and they'll be talking to each other, by the way, in the headset... Um, then he can't or she can't overrule that decision. Um, and they can't overrule it anyway. They can say, go and have a look on the monitor if you want. But then again, the referee can say, no, I'm quite happy that that wasn't a penalty or I'm quite happy that I've seen enough that it's not a clear and obvious error. The problem people get is that um, big teams seem to get more decisions going their favour. And that's generally because they attack a lot more. So do Bayern get more penalties? Potentially, they may do. Well, that's probably because they attack 10-15% more than some of the other sides they're playing. And, and you can look at that trend throughout the whole of Europe. Um, in England at the moment, some people are saying, oh, only the big teams get the call. Or at the moment, Manchester City aren't getting the calls because they're a really big team and everyone's against them. Well, it's not. They're just going to be involved in more calls. So it's it's a difficult one. But subjectiveness is a problem. Um, and, and so is consistency, because I saw this the other day. Fans don't want consistency. They want consistency in what they think is right. And if you speak to any football fan on the street, they will go, oh, yeah, that's a penalty. And next week they'll go, no, no, that's not a penalty because. And that because will be someone because it was awarded against their team. So they don't want consistency. They want their own level of consistency, which changes every week. 
I thought I thought the pair of them played um, played okay. I mean, if you if you're wanting someone like Coutinho to come on and single handedly change the match in his first game, that might be a little bit of a problem. Um, but it, it's good that they're blooded in. Interestingly, um, they also played in uh, in a match today in an amateur match. Um, I think Bayern won either thirteen or fourteen one. Um, I, I always think it's very risky. I spoke to Manu about this. They've been doing it for years, by the way. Um, I, I think it's a risky tactic letting your top players play a day after they've played in a game against amateurs. Um, but they need that time on the pitch. They need to adapt. Perisic a, a little less, obviously, because of his history. Um, but Coutinho most definitely needs a little bit of time to adapt to the way football is in Germany. It's a little bit different than from what it was in England, and it's certainly a lot different from what he's known in Spain for the last few years. So it won't take him long to get back in, but... Once he seems, uh, once he does get back in, and he gets up to that playing level, um, that that substitution that we saw, um, which was um, Coutinho coming on in place of Thomas Muller, I think that could become more of a um, more of an interesting talk because for me, um, Coutinho replaces Muller in that side at the moment, and and maybe takes them to a little bit of a higher level when he's when he's operating at hundred percent. So two players that came on and made their debut. Manu, we're going to talk about a man who's left the club, and that's Renato Sanchez. He's left Bayern Munich to go to Lille in France. Um, what exactly went wrong with Renato Sanchez? At one stage, he seemed like he was going to be the next big thing. He he burst onto the scene, didn't he, with Portugal, and everyone was talking about it. But it, it hasn't really worked out in the last few years. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, um... It's it's a bit of a sign of failed integration, isn't it? That you that you bring in a young player like Renato Sanchez, who at the time was 18, 19, 2016, um, considered as emerging superstar in Portuguese football, a player that um, everyone in in the world wanted. And Bayern were very proud when they when they actually managed to sign him. Um, everyone thought it was an astute piece of business, right? That they managed to to land him um, basically in in May, right before most before most deals before most clubs even start to transfer, and at the time they paid thirty five million euros. There was all these clauses part of the deal that, including a contract, and this and I mean in retrospect, this seems so silly um, that if he ever wins the Ballon d'Or, Bayern would have to win five million. So all those little clauses could have increase the deal to 70 million euros um a lot of money um that 
that went into this player, but it never really quite worked out. Um, either it was the language, maybe Bayern just didn't play him enough. They, they struggled to give him the right position. Um, then they sent him out on loan to Swansea and that was an absolute disaster. It's, it's really for me a symbol of what happens if you are signing a young player and you overload him with a lot of expectations, expectations that they are going to be this next big thing. And, um, if I was buying, I was a little troubled with this because, um, this is not the first time this has happened there. I remember Breno, the Brazilian, of course, who they also struggled to integrate. Um, he ended up burning down his house, right? Uh, had to serve a jail sentence in Germany. He's now back in Brazil playing for Sao Paulo. Uh, is one example. And then there's, of course, Mario Götze, right? Who they also signed, um, basically told Pep Guardiola instead of Neymar that he should be signing Götze because he's better. But they never really found the right position for him either. And then there was no place for him in the squad and it really barricaded his career. And I think that if I was buying, I was a little worried about that because if you're a young player in that kind of category, uh, maybe you're going to start thinking twice about maybe making that move. Because you look at Borussia Dortmund, for example, and what they do when it comes to integrating young players, right? Players who are very young um, and they give them the playing time and they also sign them because they have a certain system in place for them to play in. They don't just go and see, oh, there's this, there's this super talent and uh, he we don't really play, we don't really, he doesn't really fit in our system, but we want to have him because he's the next shiny thing, right? Um, Dortmund don't do that. They sign players based on the system of football they want to play. And I think that that is something that Bayern have to look at. And I, I mean, um, the game is, the, the last game is a great example because even Perisic comes on a 30 year old, you know, the scoreline is 3 0. For me personally, that's a great time when you bring in Alfonso Davies, you know, the 18 year old who's supposed to be the future of your club. And Kovac brings on the 30 year old who, is on a one-year loan deal. And that is that is something, you know, that if Davies, they have to watch out that Davies does not become the next Renato Sanchez. They have to integrate players that they sign for a lot of money, young players uh, they sign for a lot of money, better into the squad. And right now I, I, I'm sort of worried that they m- I might go down on this route once again. So with the uh, money that's come into Bayern um, with this, I believe 25 million euros or thereabouts uh, but Chris do you, do you see Bayern splashing some cash before the end of the transfer window uh, does this open things up I don't see them doing it now um, now Timo Werner's extended his contract at um, Leipzig no um, who have they gone for well obviously they went for the Roy Sane uh, that's not happening um, due to his injury um, the, the, the door's been shut on them for Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think the only person left really that fitted the, the Bayern model was Timo Werner, but they decided against that. So, um, no, I don't see anybody coming in for Bayern um, of, of any major stand-in before uh, the window closes. They may sign maybe a, a youth player, for instance, but I don't see any big um, sign-in to come in and, um, and fulfil the prophecy that um, Lewandowski wants. Well, Chris just uh, mentioned it, didn't he, about uh, Timo Werner. Um, today, we learned that he signed a new three-year contract with RB Leipzig, uh, which is obviously good news for the uh, East German side. Uh, and, and he played very well, to be honest. But, um, uh, Manu, before we talk about the uh, game, uh, this, this does ensure that, you know, 
RB Leipzig will get some money for Timo if he was to leave. Um, they're going to get a transfer wage in that release clause. But what everyone's saying is that the release clause is rather low. It's only 30 million euros. This would mean that it doesn't really prevent any club from uh, snapping him up uh, in the next two transfer windows, really, does it? It just means that they'll get something back. Uh, yeah, uh, but before we actually talk about Werner, I do think that Bayern might still go for Mark Rocker, the Espanol midfielder. Um, who is that modern number six that they need? And I've, had, I've we've spoken about it a few times. There's there's various reports um, built saying it's not happening. Bayern themselves have been very quiet, and Spanish reports are saying it could still happen. So they might still sign a midfielder yet. Um, Timo Werner, yeah, uh, I think what happened there is that everyone expected Timo Werner, including Bayern, expected Timo Werner to go there on a free transfer, right, in next summer and. I think what happened there is that Bayern almost took that transfer for granted. Um, they thought it's going to easily happen. Um, the Timo Werner is going to be happily waiting for, for Bayern to make up their mind. So they went and pursued other targets. Um, first Leroy Sané, of course, that didn't work out. And then they managed to get Coutinho on loan. I think they were just very desperate on bringing in a big star name, right? Um, and, then saving that money um, on Werner. So um, for what this does, and it was actually really interesting to see the the press reaction today by Timo Werner, the way he responded in the interview when they asked him um, on Sky how he feels about his contract uh, <laughs> contract renewal. He's, uh, he seemed very, uh, very much trying to avoid the answers. It was all about like, yo, right decision, wanted to keep my time, wanted to make the, make sure I make the right decision, ha- touched his head several times. He seemed very nervous and not that happy. Um, I think in his head, he was very much sure that he would join Bayern this summer. And it's it's just a very, very odd thing in how Bayern kind of let this one fall to the wayside. So now you mentioned the exit clause. There's various reports, Bryce. There is one that says 30 million. Um, I've heard as high as 47 million. Um, I think it's, it is about 35 plus bonuses. So this story is not going anywhere. Um, Bayern still very well might sign him next year. Someone else might sign him next year. I think if you, if you have a good year at, at Leipzig, um, then there will be several options for him. Um, on the other hand, who knows? I mean, he wanted to work with Nagelsmann this year. Um, so maybe they can pursue him to, to stay long term at Leipzig. And I think that would probably be the best option because he is a good player and we want to have good players, not just play the two biggest clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, things seem to be going well for RB Leipzig so far under Nagelsmann. Uh, 2 1 win over Eintracht Frankfurt on Sunday. Um, Chris, uh, another bright performance. Uh, Timo Werner seems to be playing well. Uh, Poulsen scored a fantastic goal. Um, things are looking rather healthy for RB Leipzig at these early stages. Yeah, they are most definitely. Um, and I saw them last week, privileged enough to see them last week um, in front of me. And yeah, they were, they were very, very good. Um, I didn't think they were as good maybe this um, this weekend on, on today's match as we record this, but... They're still winning games, and, and they are winning them quite convincingly in the end. Um, although there was a, a very late fight back. Um, it came after a number of substitutions. But I think on the whole, the, the 2-1 win was a fair reflection of the game. Um, but for me, Leipzig, 
are, are a side that are, are a danger now and we've seen them since they came into the first league a couple of seasons ago that you know they finished second and then um, they had maybe not the best finish they wanted and then last season they went straight back to, to whereabouts they want to be uh, but now they've got a really good coach um, don't take anything away from Ralph Ragnick because I think he's fantastic um, or um, Hassan Huttle before that but I think with Nagelsmann they've got someone who is starting to look ahead into the future and he's not just looking about this season he's starting to plan for next season as well and who can bring in and how can he get the best out of these players not just now but in 10 months time and I think if you get a coach like that um, and you get it into a club with a very good setup um, and a very good surrounding setup, which Leipzig have, people don't like it, but you know they're backed by Red Bull. Um, they have a very good setup. They have a great medical facility. They've got all the um, plus points that come with um, associative clubs in North America, um, in Africa, in every way, in Brazil. All It's set up for them to become a real big asset in German football and I know people won't like it um, but I think we're starting to see the emergence the very embryonic start of this this race towards maybe dominance like we've seen um, in the in the Austrian league where um, Red Bull Salzburg are, are brilliant um, whether RB Leipzig can hit the same heights in Germany waits to be seen but I think we're starting to see it now come through and um, the way they're playing, and especially the way they played last week, and I know it was against a newly promoted side, Neintracht Frankfurt aren't that. Um, they were able to change their gameplay to be effective um, at a newly promoted side away and also at home against a very good side. And, and that is a sign of a team that is going places for me. Yeah, very positive signs, isn't it? You know, picking up both uh, victories so far and they're going to be playing on Friday night against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Nagelsmann will be happy to take another victory there, I'm sure. Um, Manu, let's talk a little bit then about Eintracht Frankfurt. We had somebody on Twitter asking this week why we're not covering them, which we are. Unfortunately, on this occasion, we're going to have to talk a little bit about um, their loss today, but also their loss in Europe. They played Strasbourg from France, and it didn't quite go as planned. They lost 1-0, so um, they're going to have to try and pull it around there. Um, what do you think the odds of them pulling this one round and progressing into the Europa League is going to be? I mean, did they underestimate this? Is it a tough um, second leg fixture that they have to overcome now? Well, I expect that the anyone who's ever been in the Waldstadion in Frankfurt on a European night, um, that there is, there is no better atmosphere in European football. And you say, well, is it the same in the, the qualifiers? I mean, they sold out against Tallinn. They sold out against Vaduz. Um, they have, in terms of what the fans bring into that ground, it's, it's second to none. So I think for Strasbourg, that's going to be quite a revelation because something like that's, that simply doesn't exist in French football, right? That, that kind of stadium atmosphere, maybe in Marseille a little bit, but it just doesn't exist there other than that. So I think for them, they're going to be in quite for a ride. Now, <laughs> When you look at that game overall, Frankfurt were very much dominant and they just could not score. And I think it's very dangerous going back home, um, have no, um, having no away goal, right? Because it means that with Strasbourg scored and they have to score three. And then, then it, that becomes a very dangerous proposition. Can they turn this around? I mean, we've seen it several times. The, the result that they turned around against Benfica, right? Where they lost 4-2 on the road and, um, they won that game at home and it really never seemed in doubt that they would actually turn this game around from the very first minute. Um, they were just 
so much better at home and so much more dominant at home. So I do definitely think that they have the tools available to do it. And um, it's not over until it's really over, right? So that is that is a big one for them, though. And I think it did affect the game today because for them, it's very important to get back into Europe. I mean, they're going to earn a significant amount of money from the tickets that they sold for those games alone, right? They need that that income. And I think they also need that football to maybe convince someone like Ante Rebic to stick around for another year because he, apparently there has been inquiries about his uh, availability. The clubs that have been named are Inter Milan, Milan and Bayern. And um, it's going to be it's going to be very important for them to get into that. So maybe in the context of that, this game today against Leipzig has to be sort of kept in mind. Like they, they are already walking that fine line between having to play in Europe and playing in the Bundesliga. And, and in general, that today wasn't a, that poor of a performance. It's just that Leipzig are one of the top three sides in German football at the moment. Yeah, Chris, if we talk about Eintracht Frankfurt, um, you know, they've got um, obviously a tough test in European qualification to, to turn around. And then they've got Fortuna coming up next, um, which is, again, another very tough game. Um, talking about them trying to balance Europe and the Bundesliga, they, they did it very well for a period last year, but then it all seemed to get a bit too much towards the end. Um, do you see it being any better for them trying to, to balance all these plates this year? Oh, um, that could be a little bit unfair, Bryce, I think, because I'm pretty sure that they went all in for the Europa League last season because when it got down to the final four, I thought they were the best side left in it. So I can see why their eyes got diverted to that. And let's not forget that they were horrendously unlucky against Chelsea. And had they got through to that Arsenal final in um, Baku against Arsenal, I think the scoreline would have been pretty similar. So... I know they tailed off towards the back end of last season, but I think that was because they went all in on the Europa League. Now, can they do that again this season if they get into it? Potentially not. And and I do feel that's because they are slightly weaker um, than they were last season, especially further up the field. Um, If we look at, um, you know, who the guys who were scoring a goal last season and, and, Sebastian Haller's started to do that now um, in his move to West Ham. And I think that's something that Frankfurt will miss. And I am now glad for them retrospectively that they didn't qualify for the Champions League because I, th- I think they would have been the whipping boys um, of that particular group, whatever the group they're in. I don't think it would have stopped the guys leaving who left in the end um, because of the clubs that went in for them. So I, I can see them... If they can get through this game against Strasbourg, I can see them maybe having to make a decision like we've seen other German sides have to do before. Um, what are they really going to concentrate on? Because I don't, I don't feel they've got strength and depth to qualify um, to concentrate on them both this season. So it might be a case of getting through um, this qualifying round into the group stages and just get some European experience into those who haven't got it before, or getting back into it um, and having a good run in the groups maybe get into a round of 16s, but I can't see them going much further than that. Um, and if they did get further than that, then I do think it would affect them in the um, in the Bundesliga. I know we're only into match day two, but they're 10th at the moment, which is well off the pace of where they should realistically be. Um, I think they're probably a top six side if they can just concentrate on that. So it's going to be a difficult one for them. 
Um, because, yeah, I, I don't feel they've got the quality to fight on two fronts this season. Yeah, it's going to be quite the challenge, isn't it, uh, that balancing act? But, um, guys, let's talk um, about the final uh, game this weekend. We've seen Hertha Berlin at home and failing to score in a game against uh, Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg getting three. Um, so, yeah, a rather one-sided um, affair when it comes to the scoreline. Uh Manu, was that the case on the field, um, that it was so one-sided? Uh, and then let's talk a little bit about Hertha. We, we, we mentioned before about them having a, you know, such an impressive attack throughout the squad uh, and, and the signings that they've made. But it, uh, it hasn't really happened uh, this week for them. And how do you feel this season's going to go for them? Well, I think that Hertha, they have a, they have a very good opportunity um, this year because of the, the money that's come in, right? Um, and they managed to sign some, some very interesting players. Uh, Dodi Lokobakio, I already said he's probably the m- biggest impact signing of any club made not in the top six. Um, that said, uh, I think as as good as Ante Jovic was very, last week against Bayern in his setup, he was not impressive today um, against Wolfsburg. I think Wolfsburg very much exploited that back line um they were very good going forward there and they, they they were very good shutting down those attacking channels um you know the very same attacking channels that the likes of Lukabaki could find themselves roaming in against Bayern were very much shut down by by Glasner's side Wolfsburg and I think that is maybe a, a bit of a learning process for Vojtovic who, who comes in right and he basically sort of swaps role with Paul, Paul Dardai and um, he has to maybe just learn how to manage expectations from making the step from a playing like a side like Bayern where you where your expectations are lower to a side like Wolfsburg where you are expected to maybe gain something from right. And I think that is that's an important important lesson for young coaches to learn. But um, I know Chris is probably <laughs> desperate to talk about Wolfsburg because he finally wants to see his Shiroko there. But uh, I, I think we need to talk about them a little bit because this is a side that's like flown a little bit under the radar. Um, I know someone on Fox suggested they might finish in the top four. Uh, I I like the way Glasner plays football. They're very direct going forward. They have they have a very good system in place, and uh, maybe the side we didn't really talk about much, but we'll probably talk a lot more about um, as the season progresses. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, we have to touch on Wolfsburg a little bit, and we'll, we will go to Chris, but we'll not talk cars uh, on this uh, occasion. We'll, we'll talk about football, and it's two wins in two at the moment, and yeah, things are looking impressive, aren't they, Chris? Yeah, they are. Um, it's just how long will they last? Because last season they started to string together some good, some good results, and, and it didn't last. And I know we're only on match day two. Um, I'm, I will reserve judgment on Wolfsburg maybe until match day seven or eight. Um, but they're certainly playing some good football at the moment and you can't knock Oliver Glasner. Um, they're able to bring some quality off the bench and score, which happened today, um, albeit very late on. But yeah, they're doing really, really well. And it's that 3-4-3 that works for me. Manu, do you feel that uh, you know, Wolfsburg can possibly, um, well, get into Europe, but which European competition do you feel that they can uh, aim for? Well, they, they did qualify for the Europa League this year, right? So I heard the suggestion that they're going to be in the top four. I'm not, not so sure. Um, based, I mean, they have 
what what Wolfsburg have, they have this ability to fly under the radar, right? It's sort of what happened to them last year under Bruno Labbadia, who under the circumstances did a very good job. But if you had that kind of relationship that Bruno Labbadia, the difficult relationship that Bruno Labbadia had with uh, his sporting director, Schmatke, in any of the big markets, right? Munich, Frankfurt, Gelsenkirchen, Dortmund, um, Hamburg, any of those big markets, that would have not worked. It just simply would not have worked. If you think that they, it would have been in the news all the time, uh, it would have been scandal after scandal, the players wouldn't have been able to focus. But because it's Wolfsburg, um, also known as the place where the, the, where the best thing about it is the one hour ride to Berlin, because it's so quiet, right? The place literally shuts down in the middle of the night. Chris and I know this very well because we've actually missed the last ICE out of Wolfsburg and had to stay the night there. It shuts down at night. There is no distractions. Something that is a scandal anywhere else can just be dealt with professionally there, right? And I think that is actually something that allows them to fly a little bit under the radar. And they are a club that financially, they because of the Volkswagen ownership, don't really have that many limits. So they are if they have the right management in place, they have that ability to fly under the radar and really set themselves up. Um, to 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 kind of undermine the rest of the league a little bit. So yeah, I guess they they could finish in that top four um, and qualify for the Champions League. And um, with a club of their resources, that of course means that they can then use that money pretty much straight away to finance the squad. I think Bryce as well, and and that's why I said I want to reserve judgment on them for a bit. If they've got genuine top four or um, finishing in the top six, seven again. They need to be um, winning convincingly, um, like they've like they've done today. But they need to be doing it against the likes of um, Paderborn, against the likes of teams who finish mid-table, like Dusseldorf, and then Hoffenheim, who are very very weak. I think this particular season, and then Mainz, who are favoured for the drop. Um, it's teams like that that they need to be um, picking up against. And in the next few games, they're going to play all them, and then they host Union Berlin at home, which you would hope if you're a top four team. Um, that is um, an instant three points. And then it's only on match day eight when they go away to the Red Bull Arena at Leipzig that they really face a team um, who they want to be operating in and around. So that's why I'm just going to reserve judgment until we get to the end of match day seven because if they pick up three points um, in every single one of them games, I think we could be looking at a top four side. But if they struggle to beat the likes of Paderborn, who I know have played well but have shown real weakness at times, um, as well as their good forward play. Um, the teams like Union Berlin, who um, have shown they're excellent at home, but maybe not so good on the road, this is where they need to be picking up their games. So between now and when they go away on match day eight, if they can pick up three points in every single one of those games, I think we're looking at a top four side. If they've drawn two or maybe even lost one and drawn two, I just think we're going to look at a side that's going to maybe finish eighth. Yeah, that's it. It's going to be an interesting year for Wolfsburg, I feel. Um, that more or less does it for this week and next week. It will be interesting to see which one of those uh, top five sides can keep up the 100% uh, record. And equally interesting for the bottom four, Paderborn, Werder Bremen, Cologne and Mainz, which one can actually pick up a point and get off the mark. Um Thank you very much for tuning in as always. Manu, what have you got going on this coming week that you'd maybe like to draw people's attention to? 
Yeah, uh, same as usual. We have um, some Europa League previews, some Champions League previews um, go up on the Football Grad Network. Um, I have something special planned for Forbes that's going to probably be out tomorrow. Um, and yeah, um, head over. I did another special um, Canadian Premier League special um, for, for Pro Soccer USA, which has just been published. I know it's a little bit different, but it's it's a new up-and-coming league. It's um, a, a league you, you can't, you're not often part of seeing a complete league being built from the ground up. So yeah, I have a, a, an article up on Pro Soccer USA that I wrote last night. I was able to interview one of the owners and Bundes former Bundesliga players, Rob Friend, um, about his project here. Um, and so that's the part of that is on Pro Soccer USA, but a bigger part of that will actually be in, in a, a special interview over on Forbes in the coming days so uh, keep an eye out on for that and that's about it yeah it's plenty of content as always Bryce wow very exciting yes head over to uh, football grad live I'm sure there'll be plenty on there for your liking um, obviously Manu if you need a shirt or any advice fashion wise um, I'll always be there for you uh, Hey, hey! Uh, over to over to a man that has no need for shirts is uh, Chris Williams. Chris, uh, what have you got going on this week that you maybe like to direct people's eyes to? Oh, well, I'm just planning to um, to go to Germany this coming weekend, so um, I'm going to be over in Union for the big game, um, and then getting up Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday morning, and hopping on the ICE and making my way over to um, Werder Bremen. So can't wait for that. Um, I did done a couple of pieces and there'll be one more out as this podcast goes out for the Brazil national side who are working with our friends over the International Champions Cup. So done a piece on um, how Roberto Firmino has changed from a gangly teenager at Hoffenheim to one of the world's best forwards at Liverpool. I've done a piece on Edison, Manchester City goalkeeper and how blessed um, Brazil are with having two of the best goalkeepers in world football at the moment. Um, and there will also be something sh out shortly on Everton player Richarlison um, and about his journey to the, the national side. So, yeah, there's quite a bit going on. Oh, wow, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And how good was that Bobby Firmino flick uh, and shot, Chris? Oh, you know, the weekend. Just a shame it didn't fly in. But anyway, um, that will do it for this week. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back in no time in your ears. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. And if you want to find me on Twitter, uh, wearing bizarre shirts, at Bryce Dunn11 seems to be the target of abuse. Um, until then, of Vader's end. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.